You're listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. North of Zero by Slippin' Mickeys on AO3. Chapter 20, The Ship. As soon as William felt the firmness of a floor beneath him, the all-encompassing brightness that surrounded them cut out and they were plunged into darkness. He blinked hard several times until his eyes began to adjust to the dim glow of ambient light on the ship. The pins and needles feeling that began when he'd been sitting in the chair in front of the fire with the preacher standing over him was fading and the feeling and control of his arms and legs started to come back to him. He glanced to his side and saw both of his parents sitting up, blinking hard. Mulder's arm slipped as he tried to get up. William thought perhaps he himself was recovering more quickly from whatever the preacher had used to drug them. The woman Elaine and the wiry little man Ezekiel, who had accompanied them on the ship, were standing near Scully, looking around themselves at the ship in awe. The room they were in was made entirely of a soft kind of metal, that gave off a dull glow. It looked like they were standing just off to the side of the bridge of a ship. At the front of the room stood a long console that came up out of the floor and was a darker material than the rest. Standing at the console were three people, voids, William thought immediately, super soldiers, one of whom stepped away and turned to look at the new arrivals. Each of the super soldiers was dressed differently. The man who turned to look at them was bald, in jeans, and a plain black t-shirt. The other man, tall with a shaggy black beard, was in grubby cargo pants and a gray Patagonia fleece. The last void was a thin young woman with blonde hair and a messy bun, and was dressed in black leggings and a pink zip-up athletic shirt. Her shoes, bright white sneakers with hot pink laces, were splattered with a dark brown stain that William thought was probably blood. The bald super-soldier, who turned, took a step forward toward them. The preacher alien, no longer wearing a false, beatific smile, came around to stand in front of the soldier. Head for the rendezvous point, the preacher said. The soldier turned back to the console, and William could hear the centrifugal force of the ship turning in the sky. Beside William, Scully groaned and shook out her hands as if they had water on them. On his other side, Mulder got woozily to his feet. On his other side, Mulder got woozily to his feet. William stood, too, and put a steadying hand on Mulder's shoulder until he was sure his father wasn't going to fall over. And then William turned and helped Scully to stand. She winced, and William looked at her in concern. Pins and needles, she explained, and lifted one foot to rotate her ankle. Elaine, standing on Scully's other side, reached out kindly to steady her. Is this, the woman said meekly, is this the way to God's kingdom? Scully opened her mouth and gave her head a little shake, unsure of what to say. The bald super soldier turned away from the console again and looked to the preacher. What would you like us to do with the abductees, he asked, moving to stand in front of them. Elaine, whom he was closest to, took a small step back. The preacher alien turned to look at them. 
Lock these three up, he said, pointing at Scully, Mulder, and William. The boy needs to be incapacitated. The parents we need to study. Dissection protocol? The soldier asked. Everything, said the preacher. William felt his insides go liquid with fear. What about the others? The soldier asked, pointing to Ezekiel and Elaine. Kill them, the preacher said, turning away. They can be turned. There was a blur of motion. Before William could compose another thought, he looked up and the super soldier's arm was wrist deep in Ezekiel's stomach, a flower of blood blossoming on the man's shirt around the soldier's hand. Ezekiel looked down at himself in shock, opened his mouth as if to say something, and then the soldier pulled his hand back, covered in pulpy blood, and Ezekiel crumpled to the floor, dead. Then the soldier turned to look at the woman Elaine, who, looking terrified, took a stumbling step backward. Wait, Mulder said at the same time that Scully shouted, no. And as quickly as it had happened with Ezekiel, now time seemed to slow to a honeyed drip. The soldier pulled back his bloody arm, his dripping fingers extended, his hand stiff as a blade, and then it shot forward. At the same time, Scully, the word no still on her tongue, made a clumsy move to either block Elaine or move her out of the way and William watched as the soldier's knife-like hand plunged itself deep in the side of his mother's torso. Time skipped forward and caught up to itself. Scully slumped to the floor of the ship. Mulder, screaming her name, scrambled toward her side. William watched it all play out in horror, felt a rage bubble up inside of him so overwhelming and intense that he felt almost incandescent with it. Then the rage itself vectored within his chest giving birth to a feeling of power so acute that he could feel it vibrating inside of him and crackling like electricity along the whole of his skin. He took a deep breath, balled his hands into half-fisted claws, and let it loose. Mulder, screaming her name, dove to Scully's side. Blood was pouring from a hole in her flank, and not knowing what else to do, Mulder held both hands to it, trying to stem the flow. Scully, he said desperately. The ship shivered under him, and he looked up. William was standing a few feet away, feet braced, head low, hands in front of himself like he was holding a big box. But there was an energy sizzling through him which Mulder could feel from where he kneeled. When he looked to William's eyes, the boy's pupils were blown, the whole of his eyes almost black. The super soldier who had just killed Ezekiel, and probably Scully too, went flying through the air, end over end, until he hit the side of the ship with a gross thud. He stayed upside down, pinned to the wall, eyes wide. When the other two soldiers turned to look at their compatriot, they went flying as well. The preacher alien turned on his heels and watched, a look of curious amazement on his face, until William turned his gaze to him. You, William hissed, his voice low and menacing. And then he shot out his hand and the preacher went flying backwards, hitting the wall of the ship with a sickening thud. He too stayed pinned to it, but something odd was happening to the preacher. Mulder could see it. He was pushed to the wall as if riding the graviton spinner at a county fair, but he was being pressed into the metal so hard that his skin started migrating toward the wall too, like candle wax stripping onto the table beneath it. 
He looked as though he were melting, his eyes bulging, the shape of his head taking on a curious triangle quality. The ship shivered again, harder, making a groaning sound, and Mulder could hear the woman Elaine whimpering from behind him. The ship pitched sideways, and William's other hand shot out, and Mulder felt an odd sense of weightlessness. A high whine started buzzing through the air, getting louder and lower until William screamed, an ear-splitting, soul-shaking sound, and the ship under them began shaking, rattling, the terrible groans of metal being ripped apart tore through the air, and all the while, Mulder, his hot, blood-wet hands still pressed to Scully's body, felt nothing. He looked through the turbulent air and saw the three super-soldiers turn the color of lead and then burst into dust before his eyes. The metal behind the melting visage of the preacher peeled back until daylight ret through the opening, and the alien was sucked out the hole where he atomized into a green mist and then was gone. A moment of shaking, bone-rattling turbulence, and then the ship hit the earth. A massive, concussive reverb shook the ship around them, but Mulder felt none of it. Scully, laying prone beneath him, didn't move. William stood before him, breathing hard, his body still tense and strumming with energy, as steady as a rock. And then there was nothing but dust and silence. William stood up straight and shook his head as if coming out of a trance. Beneath Mulder's hand, Scully made a strangled sound, and his attention whipped back to her. Her mouth was open, and he instantly knew that she was struggling to breathe. Her throat gurgling, she coughed once, and blood came spewing out of her mouth. William whirled around, his eyes widening at the sight of Scully on the floor of the fallen ship. He lurched forward and slid to his knees at her other side. He gave a long, scanning look over the length of her, and then took a deep, calming breath, closing his eyes. When he opened them, he reached out and gently touched her shoulder. Scully, William said calmly, and Mulder, for only a moment, pulled his eyes away from the love of his life to look once more at their son, his hand still clamped over her torso, where he could feel a slight pull from the sucking chest wound. Scully, look at me. William called to her again. Scully gasped for breath like one of the fish they had pulled up out of Green Lake. The choking sound from her throat, a gurgling, bubbling mess, could only stare up at the ceiling of the ship. One of her hands reached blindly out to the side to slap into Mulder's arm. Mom, William said, and then, his voice filled with such tenderness that passing angels would have stopped to listen to him. Mom, I need you to look at me. Scully turned her head slowly toward her son. Close your eyes, he whispered to her. Scully's bloodshot eyes fluttered shut, and Mulder could feel tears come to his own. William reached out and gently placed the finger and thumb of his right hand across her eyes to rest on her temples. Mulder felt something break apart in his chest. It looked like the boy was administering last rites. Be with me, the boy said, his own eyes sliding closed the blood seeping around Mulder's fingers beginning to slow. Be with me. Beneath Mulder's hands, the suction of her wound loosened. He felt a pang of agony he'd not felt in close to twenty years, at her bedside when she was dying of cancer, and he didn't think she'd last the night. Be with me, Mom. Time slowed. The angels held their breath. 
Mulder could feel every cell in his body call out to a god he didn't believe in. Scully's god, Ezekiel's, any god who would listen. And then something miraculous happened. Something was going on under Mulder's gummy bloody fingers. He pulled his hands back from her and watched, transfixed, as the gaping wound began to close. The spilled blood creeping back into her body, tissue reformed slowly before his eyes. Slashed ribbons of skin reached towards each other and melded back into perfect smoothness. You're with me, William said, slowly opening his eyes, smiling, his hands still on her forehead. I have you. Life knit itself back together before Mulder's eyes. Scully's back lifted up off the ground and she took a massive inhalation, the wretched gurgling sound gone from her breathing, replaced by clear, regular breaths. William removed his hand from her temples, and she turned her head to look at Mulder, her eyes bright, full of life. He launched himself at her, clutching her to his chest. Scully! God! After a moment, he looked up, watching as William watched them, a small smile on his face. Not letting go of Scully, Mulder reached out and gripped the boy's shoulder hard, pulling him into their embrace. The mother immortal, came a shaky whisper from behind them, and Mulder turned his head to see Elaine, whom he'd completely forgotten about, on her knees, looking at them worshipfully. He eventually learned to avoid the carrion birds. A kettle of vultures, a murder of crows, nothing good could be found where they landed, and he'd seen darkness enough. He awoke one morning to ruckus cawing from the trees above. The sun had been up for a while, but his blanket was stiff with frost, and he'd dreamt he was drowning in a dark, viscous lake, slippery, frigid hands pulling him under. He was cold, stiff with ague, and not looking forward to the turkey jerky that awaited him for breakfast, the bulk package long since expired and as flavorless as hardtack. Ravens hopped from one branch to another above him, eyeing him with intrigue, and he groaned, stretching. Shut up, he called to the birds, rolling to his knees on the ground. I'm not dead yet, he mumbled, mostly to himself. He had yet to shake off the slippery darkness of his dream. The night before, on the highway, he'd encountered a wolf pack of abandoned cars. Doors open like the passengers had only just stepped out, and odd black pools of the substance he'd started thinking of as antimatter sitting scattered about the highway amongst the ghostly carapaces of vehicles. He'd come upon the pools before, with Dan, who avoided them like the plague, but couldn't tell William why. The pools were always inert, dead. On the surface, nothing he would normally associate with even being a biological entity. But the thing was, even sitting there, still as the concrete they sat on, he could sense their sinister intent, or an echo of it. Dan used to take one look, turn to William, say, Bad fucking juju, dude, and keep walking. He groaned again, and the ravens above him took off all at once, wingbeats fluttering the red and gold leaves of the autumn canopy. He kicked dirt onto what remained of the glowing embers of his campfire and folded up his blankets to tie them to the bottom of his pack, which he shouldered, pulling out a hunk of jerky to chew on while he walked. 
He stamped his boots into the ground to kick some feeling into his feet and headed north. The area he was in now was flat country, pocked with overgrown fields of barley and soy, cut through by the highway he'd been traveling along the night before. He tuned in briefly to the homing beacon in his head, then adjusted course slightly, turning to crest a small rise, the sum total of the elevation in probably the whole country. He got to the top and looked down and was met with an unending line of the brown husks of corn that hadn't been cut back for winter the year before, their wide flat leaves rattling in the breeze. He hated cornfields, hated the way the sharp leaves grabbed and sliced at you when you walked through them, hated the way you could get so easily turned around amongst the stalks. The worst thing, what he hated most, was how it always felt like someone was just beyond the next row, how anyone or anything could be hiding there in the impenetrable wall of green or brown. Even when he knew there wasn't anyone, when he opened up his senses and didn't feel anyone near him, he still had to steal his nerves before stepping in amongst the stalks. The field itself looked to be acres long and acres wide, and he stepped in and walked fast, longing for the journey to be over. Overhead, the ravens were back, wheeling through the air, and looking at him with sharp eyes, flying up ahead and then riding the air currents back, keeping pace with him. It was unnerving, the sun glinting off their glossy feathers, reminding him of his dream from the night before. When he was certain he was getting to the end of the field, when he couldn't stand walking anymore, he began to run, and the cutting fibrous leaves clutched at him, pulling on his clothes and pack. Without any warning, he burst through the line of maize, stumbling into the open, startling a rafter of turkeys that had been grazing on the field's edge and they fluttered off into the trees, beyond the field voicing their displeasure. Above him, the raven settled into the tops of the trees. He glared at them uncomfortably and tightened the straps of his knapsack, pulling it tight to his shoulders as he set off into the woods. He was about fifty yards in when he heard it, the unnerving, out-of-place sound of someone crying. He closed his eyes and sensed the presence of a single person, human, a little way to the north and west. He stepped carefully through the leafy ground, trying not to make any sound when he walked. After about forty feet, he saw her. There was a girl of nine or ten sitting on a log next to a game trail. She had on red leggings, dirty at the knees, a pair of boots that were several sizes too big for her, and a tatty pink and purple winter coat, torn at one elbow, white fibrous batting showing through the tear. She wiped her eyes and nose noisily, and that's when William saw what lay at her feet. A small Irish setter, the same color as the layer of red-brown leaves that carpeted the floor of the forest, was lying awkward on the ground, its front paws bent unnaturally, where a large steel hunting trap had snapped around its leg. It whimpered, and William involuntarily gasped. The girl looked up and stood, frightened poised to take off running. William could see the tracks of tears that cut through the dirt on her face. He held up a hand. I won't hurt you, he said. The girl looked at him warily. What happened? he asked. The child's face wilted. It's my dog Jessie, she said, starting to cry again. She got caught in this trap and she's really hurt. William stepped forward and the dog lifted its head weakly, sniffing at the air. 
leaves and burrs and bits of plant caught in the stringy fur of her ears. You can't get it off? he asked, approaching them cautiously. The girl shook her head. I know I should go get my dad, but he's going to say we have to put her down. Her leg is broke. Look. William got closer and walked around the pair, giving them a few feet of space. He looked at the big metal trap, which didn't have teeth like the ones he'd seen in the movies, but the jaws of it were clamped tight, and he could see a trickle of blood soaking into the poor dog's fur. The leg was definitely broken. He kneeled down on the girl's other side to take a closer look. The dog turned toward him, whimpering a bit, the chain of the trap clinking when she moved. Maybe I can get it off her, he said after a moment, looking at how the thing was made. He'd never be able to pry it loose using brute strength, but if he used his powers, subtly, so the girl didn't see, he was pretty sure he could do it. Really? The girl said, running the back of her hand under her nose, smearing mucus and dirt onto her cheek. Maybe, William said, moving a little closer to the animal. Her name's Jessie? The girl nodded. What's your name? He asked. I'm William. Katie, the girl said, sniffing again. Do you think Jessie will bite me if I get too close, Katie? No, Katie said, falling to her knees right next to the dog and petting her head. She's really a good dog. William wasn't so sure. He was pretty sure he'd bite somebody if he found himself hurt and trapped like this, but he took Katie's word for it and eased himself down onto his knees right in front of the trap. Katie, can you get me a stick? A thick one, like about this big. He pinched together his finger and thumb, showing her what to grab. Yes, she said happily, and then stood up and darted away, scouring the forest floor for the perfect tool. William reached out and touched the dog's head, who turned to look at him with watery, sad eyes. She gave a low, short growl, which ended in a whimper, and dropped her head back to the forest floor. Shh, William said. It's okay. He considered the trap in front of him, feeling it out with his mind. He pictured the two bars prying apart and gave them an experimental mental tug. The coil force holding them together was very tight, but it gave a few centimeters. Jesse whimpered and tried to sit up. No, shh, stay, William said quickly, and the dog settled back down. I got one, Katie called out triumphantly and came running back to them, waving a thick stick in the air. William put his hand out to receive it, but Katie was coming in fast, and his angle was wrong, and when he grabbed it, the sharp end of the stick sunk into his palm. He cried out once and then shook his head. He could see a line of blood running over the base of his thumb. I'm sorry, Katie said, horrified. No, it's okay, William assured her, giving her a tight smile. It just poked me is all. Can you give it here? Katie handed the thick stick over, and William turned back to the trap. He gave the mouth of it one more mental tug, and he shoved the stick in between the bars and pretended to pry them with the stick, all while yanking on them hard with his mind. A moment later, the trap snapped open, and Jessie pulled her leg limply out of it, rolling onto her side. William threw the trap uselessly away, and Katie shouted in joy. You did it, she said, impulsively hugging Will once around the neck before she turned back to her dog. 
William looked down at his injured palm and sucked the blood away, then watched as his skin slowly knitted itself back together, good as new. Little injuries like that were easy. His body took care of them on his own, but bigger ones, like the time he'd gotten his finger closed in the car door at school drop-off, healing that took a bit of concentration. He'd zoned out for most of the first 15 minutes of school that day, finding the place in his mind he thought of as the healing place, and feeling what it was like to knit together tissue and mend a miniature fracture in bone. Katie was kneeling by Jessie's head, and she began to cry again. Oh my god, she wailed. Look at her leg. William glanced over and winced. It was bent at an unnatural angle and looked heinously painful. He looked back at his hand and wondered. He reached out and ran a hand along Jessie's head, petting the dog gently, talking to her in a calm voice. With his mind, he reached out to feel inside of her, down her neck, around her shoulder, then there. He could feel what the dog's body was trying to do. Hey, Katie, he said. The girl looked up. This might not be so bad. Do you think you could find me a couple more sticks, two or three of them, about the same thickness and length? Maybe I can splint it. Katie nodded and shot off into the woods, and William turned his full attention back to the dog. He reached inside with his mind. The dog, sensing something odd, again tried to get up, but William put his other hand on the dog's side and held her firmly. It's okay, Jesse, he said, closing his eyes. Stay here with me, girl. Be with me. The dog calmed and her body stopped fighting him and began showing him what it wanted him to do. It took concentration and a few fits and starts, but then the healing began to flow between him and the dog and the process rushed ahead, increasing in pace as he got the hang of it, the tissue mending itself, the bone calcifying itself back together. After a while, he opened his eyes. The dog's leg was healed, its fur still wet with blood, but whole and straight again. From above them, indignant call of a raven. William looked up and saw dozens of them perched on the trees above. Then they burst into flight, disappearing into the sky above the canopy. Jessie rolled up into a sitting position and sniffed at her fur, giving it a few licks, and then she stood, putting her weight on it. All at once, her tail started wagging madly, and she jumped up and licked his face. He laughed and pushed her gently away, standing. "'Hey, Katie!' he shouted. Don't worry about the sticks. I think her leg is okay. Katie came crashing through the brush and rushed up to him, looking down at her dog, amazed, then fell to her knees and wrapped her arms around the animal's neck, burying her face blissfully into the silky auburn fur. When she turned to William, her face was shining with happiness. I can't wait to tell my dad, she said, standing up. William gave her a small smile, a prickle of discomfort creeping up his neck. Come on, come with us, she said, taking a few steps west. Jessie happily bounding at her side. We've got food and a camper. William swung his knapsack into his back and shoved his hands deep into the pockets of his coat. I need to go my way, he told the girl, and then turned and headed north. Behind him a single black feather, dark as night, glossy as oil, drifted to the earth where he stood.
If you like this story, please follow the link to the writer's page and leave some love. Kudos, comments, or subscribe. They'll love hearing from you. Then you can head over to our Patreon page and contribute to Audio Fanfic Podcast. As a member, you are granted early access to one new story per month. That's www.patreon.com slash audiofanficpod. Thank you for listening, and remember, the stories are out there.